0: This is Rob Carmack from Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. And when I'm not eating a pound of caviar, I'm listening to Set Lusting Bruce.
1: And welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and we are going to take an academic leaning this tonight as we're discussing. Um, I have a Ernie. On here. He was kind enough to join me. So introduce yourself, Ernie, and talk about why I say we're going to be a little academic. Uh,
2: Thank you, Jesse. um, uh, Jesse's correct. I go by Ernie with all my friends. My um, official name is Cyrus, uh, actually, Cyrus Ernesto Zirakzade. I'm uh, uh, part Iranian, part Guatemalan, but uh, raised in the United States. Um- I think the reason Dey says this is academic is uh, I had composed an essay about the political vision of Bruce Springsteen. Um, uh, part of it, it discusses the public issues that I see Springsteen uh, con- consistently discussing in his work. and part had to do with the what I perceive to be the solutions that he offers. Um, or that he explores. Actually, that's a better way to put it. That he explores, and the final part of the paper, um, I see uh, Bruce Springsteen's ideas as part of a kind of a long-term tradition in America. I call it a pastoral tradition uh, that stretches back um, some of the things back to Jefferson and uh, continues through the 19th and 20th century and um, And it's an important tradition that I think many people who talk about politics forget. Oh, and the last thing I did mention is I'm writing all of this because I am a professor of political science uh, at the University of Connecticut. And um, this piece was originally uh, put together as part of a panel on Bruce Springsteen's music that occurred about a year ago at the Western Political Science Association meeting. Uh, in of all places,
1: Las Vegas, Nevada. That is, that? that is awesome. I was gonna ask, yeah, so you know, make sure and tell us what your day job is. Um, you know, I think this is really, you know fascinating, especially as we're recording this. It's a political, you know, a general election. We have uh, we're in the middle of a presidential, Uh, campaign with some very diverse candidates. Um, My lovely bride is not normally political at all, and she has been engaged in this for the longest time. So we may get into a little bit of that, but before we do, talk to me about your family background. Tell me what kind of music you listened to growing up, and then when you reached that special High school time. You know, what were your first loves? What were you? What kind of music were you listening to?
2: Uh, Wow, Jesse, that's a great question. Um, I was born in 1951, and um, uh, I think I first started noticing um, rock and roll. It was strange. um, My family traveled around uh, to different countries, um, and when I was about eleven or twelve, we were in England, and um, uh, the Beatles' their very first song appeared, and it was um, that was the first time I saw the Beatles. It was years, before, uh, or at least the year before they, they were known in the United States. But um, there were these other bands, these instrumental bands like the Shadows, um, that. Fascinated me and the Shadows was a, a British instrumental band that was kind of like the Ventures in the United States, kind of a oh okay, uh, kind of a, yeah, a very surf twangy, heavy reverb kind of group, and um, and then also there was this kind of skittle style like the Rock Island Line. Uh, I don't know if you remember that the Rock Island Line with the mighty yeah, uh, and. Um, And so, and then when I came to the United States, I was kind of attracted to offshoots of that. Um, I really liked um, surf music. I think for the weirdest reason, I was was living in Colorado, so I never saw a beach, but this kind of twangy uh, sound really appealed to me. And also, we had this radio station in town that uh, picked up music from um, Oklahoma City and uh, other parts. Of, of uh, kind of the deep southwest, where I started to hear Aretha uh, Franklin and Otis Redding, and um, um, uh, and the uh, and I heard songs like Green Onion, and I um, I really got into that kind of R and B style, and I think the that attracted me to some of Bruce's songs where he where he imitates. Uh, rather than imitate, to incorporate some of those um, uh, motifs in his uh, music. And finally, my parents, um, when I was growing up, they were really hip into Elvis.
1: Oh, okay. And
2: and so actually my first Bruce Springsteen song that I just really loved, um, which may be different from some of the other visitors to your site. My first one was uh, "I'm Going Down," mm-hmm. um, which I had heard in a coffee shop, and there's part at the end where he does this kind of Elvis Bebop stuff, and ends the uh, song with this "Yeah," mm-hmm. and I just, when I heard it, I said, "Wow, that is just that is just too cool," and um, so that gives you a sense of of, of um, of my, I guess my time period. Yeah, that's
1: that's that's great, Ernie. Now, when about did your family come to the U.S.?
2: Oh, okay, um, my mother and father came uh, just a couple of years before I was born. Okay, they met. They met in Detroit, and um, uh, they were kind of. It was a um, ethnically mixed. Marriage. My mother was a Guatemalan um, Catholic and my father was a, um, came from a, a kind of Islamic background. And at that time, uh, Catholics um, weren't, they weren't into this kind of ecumenical approach that would become common in the 60s. So uh, they weren't to marry and they therefore eloped. And, um, uh, and headed out to Oklahoma, and that was where I was born.
1: That, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, you know, my, my wife was raised Catholic. I converted when we started dating. But she talked about – her mother shared that her best friend was not Catholic, and, uh-huh. and she could not – like, serve in that wedding. She could not be a maid of honor in that wedding because, you know, this is, you know, back in the 40s, I guess. And, um, and it was just, you know, it, you kind of look at this and you, I, I understand in theory about this kind of separation, but, um, you know, it's kind of hard to believe it now.
2: So. Yeah. And, I guess that's all. And I, until you uh, brought this up, I had I hadn't made the connection. But um, a lot of I guess what I like about Bruce's music is the kind of romance he has in mind is uh, two people, not only that they love each other um, and in kind of the old um, off style, yeah. but that they're they've made an agreement that they're going to rebel together. Yes. And, um, and I think that may be part of what, uh, with my parents, uh, you know, I mean, he did talk about, you know, or he still talks and writes about uh, love in a, in a kind of a subversive way that really rings true for me. That it's a kind of a, a pact uh, between two people that we will agree to be, um, uh, deviant, and we will agree uh, to be courageous and to ignore convention. And I like that a lot.
1: I, I do too, and I don't know if you've read the Vanity Fair interview with him uh, that's no. that's coming out. Okay, so it Vanity Fair has an interview with him and I will spoil a little bit of it for you, but it is definitely worth reading because of what you just said. The writer... Made the argument that his parents' story is the story of Born to Run. Uh That that his father went to his mother, you know, when they were going to move to California and everything. And he said, you know, I'll love you with all the passion in my heart, you know, and all the redemption I can offer. And he said, in a lot of ways, you know, he says, I think your parents lived the story of, you know, Born to Run and and Uh The Road. And he, you know, Bruce was like, I've never thought of it that way. Um, And, you know, like, um, and after I read it, I looked back at the lyrics of Born to Run and I said, you know, as you often hear writers talk about you know, just because they wrote it doesn't mean they understand what it's about. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I love that about, uh, you know, storytellers that there you get to, you get the message that you need out of this song or story. So I think that's interesting. And I think that's kind of romantic about your parents and I'm sure it was a tough time, um, going together, but I, I'm sure that's one of the reasons that you embrace part of Bruce's, you know, like American land, the hands that built this country. They're always trying to keep out.
2: Yes. uh, Yeah, I – well, all of of what you're saying is very – Simulating to my um, imagination right now, because there are all of these connections that are shooting through my head. But, <laughs> That's what we're here uh, for, Ernie. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, and one of the things that happened, um, my mother passed away, oh, about four or five years ago. And I was going through her belongings. And um, I came across this photo of her and my dad and um, they were on this car, and you could just, um, so they're very young, they're, they must be in their early 20s, and she's got this kind of really uh, Betty, kind of Betty Grable pose by the car, and my dad is just looking so happy, and it, 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 you're right, it's like Thunder Road. who's it, just like, uh, uh, you know, come take my hand, let's out the Promised Land. I mean it's yeah. just really a very very remarkable photo. Um, oh
1: I bet that was And yeah I'm sure it brought you joy and tears at the same time because um, I am lucky uh, my mother is still with me um, but I have lost both my my wife's parents have both passed and mm-hmm. my stepfather and my father. In fact, my father died on the tenth anniversary of nine eleven, and I make the joke only half—you know, half serious. You're already pretty emotional on nine eleven, and then when you throw in that it's also the anniversary of your father's death, it's it's a it's an emotional day. Um, so I imagine that photo was something pretty special.
2: Yeah, that photo was very special. Um, Another, uh, it, it's funny how, uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen's lyrics affect you. Um, the, um, when my mother passed away, um, just a couple of days before my grown daughter passed away. And, oh. um, and so I was, I was just, I, I was just in a mess. Sure. And, um, um, and so... You know, I'm driving around. I, I uh, decided I'm going to buy the new Bruce Springsteen album, the newest one that came out, uh, which at the time was The Rising. Yeah. And um, uh, uh, Waiting on a Summer's Day, um, there were some, some of the songs like, um, or some, some of the lyrics where he talks about um, being a drummer who's missed the beat.
1: Yes. and
2: and um, how how the love for someone had made you um, um, uh, made it possible to wake up in the morning and it, it really it, it really affected me because I had related to my daughter and I, I mean I was driving I just suddenly broke out in tears um, but there's something about his, you know the tempo of the song and the images that are—they um, seem really simple, but they—they they capture a um, a sense of of how, how things are off, just um, how how physical it feels, and um, um, and in that respect, his his music um, just helps me cope.
1: It's really amazing. Um, I, last year, I spent uh, nine months in an unplanned sabbatical. Um, Uh I had had lost my, I had been laid off and it took me um, longer than I, you know, in theory, they say, you know, it's going to take a long time. But you're like, oh, no, not to me. And um, I listened to uh, Better Days a lot because oh yes. my reminder is that this is a journey and you you need to be present in what's happening to your life right now uh, too many people go well once i get you know once i get tenure then i'll be happier or once I, I get the kids out of school i'll be happier or once i you know, even younger. Once, oh, once I, once I'm out of high school and I'm in college, then I'll be happy. And the reality is, it's the life's journey is where the joy is. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I can imagine. Um, I want to go back. When did you first discover Bruce? Now you've had a pretty eclectic. You know, you've you've found some soul music. You've had early Beatles. Um, I assume a little bit of uh, Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. Uh, so where did you how did you find Bruce and tell me about that?
2: okay um, I think um, when I when I came across Bruce it was it was a kind I really wasn't expecting it um, you know uh, there had been articles on Time magazine but I was living in the San Francisco area so I was mainly interested in, Groups like Santana, and also uh, kind of um, a new wave of, of British um, uh, kind of world music, like the Police, had just just come on the scene, and and there was Rock Sand, and there was all that kind of music. Is where I my head was, and then um, uh, and then I just was in a coffee shop, and um, The Born in the USA album had been produced, but the first singles that were released uh, weren't Born in the USA or uh, uh, Dancing in the Dark, but were these things like um, uh, I'm Going Down, which reminded me of uh, kind of this New Orleans, um, Gary U.S. Bond sort of style. And actually, that's what I expected more from Bruce, and then I was surprised when I heard the whole album how little there was of that um, and uh, but I really was uh, drawn to my hometown and uh, these songs of hard times uh, at the time I was writing on labor politics so um, I was surprised and then I went backwards and um, listened to um, the River album and was, uh, and was just amazed. I just thought that was uh, such an uh, insightful album and it talked about uh, American characters that generally were not being recognized in, um, in public discussions and, um, and people who were unemployed and um, uh, let's see. Um, the River is probably, you know, right up there with my very, very favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. Um, uh, All right. Let's, I, um, and then I, it just kind of deepened. Um, yeah. You know, I, I heard um, uh, Born to Run album and, you know, Kent Avenue freeze out. I thought, "Wow, this is this is just like the uh, Booker T and the MG sort of stuff." I really, I really got excited. So um, his range kind of overlaps with a lot of my interests, and his themes uh, kind of match up with um, my political sympathies. So, um,
1: Ernie, when, why did you decide to become a teacher and especially, you know, political science?
2: Oh, um, well, I come from a family of teachers. My mother uh, taught Spanish, and my dad um, was a professor of mathematics. Um, so I just thought it was kind of a noble profession. I think they were a little frustrated, um, especially my father, because. Accents are a problem, and, um, it, but uh, I think it, it, it was a great, you know, I could tell they got a lot of fight out of it. Yeah. In political science, um, both of my parents kind of came to the United States to escape um, um, oppression in their respective countries. Um, uh, Guatemalan and Iran. My father's family was opposed to the Shah, and so family members were getting arrested and, and in some cases tortured. And um, my mom's father was part of the Arbenz uh, government, which was a socialist government in Guatemala. So they came to the United States um, uh, to, to find a little political peace. and. Um, In my household, there would be lots of people who would come by and chat about, you know, let's overthrow the Shah, let's try doing this, and artists who would uh, do poetry, nationalist poetry. And um, uh, and so I was interested in politics that way. I also was interested in politics uh, because my father lost his first job because he would not sign a loyalty oath. This was during the McCarthy
0: period in the
2: U.S. And um, uh, so, for me, politics was just really fascinating. It seemed to impact people's lives in in very profound ways. And um, uh, I had a low draft number when I uh, was in my senior year in high school. So, um, you know, at at that time, people were reading anarchist writings. Uh, of a certain age, (laughs) you know, we were just trying to make sense of what can the government demand of us in terms of our personal moral standards, and, um, and so, uh, there was a personal stake. there was a lot of passion, that's how I ended up studying politics.
1: Wow, that's, that's interesting, and I'm sure, um, Your parents were very proud you're carrying on that tradition. Um, Going back to Bruce, um, Uh were you able to see him on this river tour?
2: Uh, No, I've only seen him twice, actually.
1: Okay. Um,
2: And I can't even remember what the – uh, you know the names of the tours but i know it wasn't the, the river tour i did see you know some of the stuff on uh television about the river tour yeah and uh and i really enjoyed listening to him talk about um uh about how he was thinking about the album after so many years but no i did i did not have a chance to see that tour
1: you know one of the things we're very curious Clear in this podcast, and um, I like to quote Wendy Parnell, who is from Austin, Austin, Texas, and she's written some wonderful children books, including Johnny Ninety
0: Nine. And oh, really? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: Born to Run and Johnny Ninety Nine. And she says that the amount of times you've seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are, because so many circumstances drive shows like if you do not live in the east coast like if you live in the new york philly jersey area there's a lot more chances versus like someone living in texas or economically you know can you afford to go so um i think that's interesting i think you would have liked seeing um him do the river album in full And, you know, they're certainly available to download because, Ernie, exactly what you're talking about, you know, he's now in his 60s going back and revisiting a work of art he did in his late 20s, early 30s, and seeing it from a different perspective. And it does make for a very interesting evening of music.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, there's one other thing I should mention to you about how my life kind of intersects with Bruce's music. Um, being born in Oklahoma, uh, you know, I was I was just really young. and I was really naive, and I kept yeah. on wondering, uh, why do I have, um, you know, why do I have so many dark features? Why is my hair jet black? Yeah, now I don't have much hair, but when I was young, it was yes. jet black. And um, and I had read Don Steinbeck, and he, he would talk about um, okies, and, and, and he was referring much more to the impact of, um, of Mexicans and uh, Native Americans, but he would talk about dark-haired okies. And um, so when I was small, and uh, my, my parents being immigrants, they, uh, they didn't want me to... Get their accent, so they didn't read much to me, and I never had a. I had to go elsewhere to uh, come across books to help me understand who I might be and what I might be. Yeah. So um, I studied John Steinbeck. Actually, I wrote. I've been. i written a couple of things on John Steinbeck, and um, as as Steinbeck helped me understand myself, then I came across. Um, uh, Bruce Springsteen's Ghost of Tom Joe. Yes. And uh, and that also had an uh, incredible impact on the, um, the Nebraska album did as well, but especially Ghost of yeah. Tom Joe. Um, anyhow.
1: No, I think that's good, and that's a perfect segue. So if you could kind of uh-huh. in summary your premise uh, – and your paper is Badlands and Good Loving, Bruce Springsteen and the American Pastoral Tradition. So if you could just kind of in a summary, your premise, what you think he's trying to say and what you think that pastoral tradition is. Okay. Okay. Um...
2: Uh, oh, wow. Okay, well, he, he in his music, there's a certain set of, of characters um, that are very distinctive to his music. Uh, especially unemployment is a huge theme. Um, working in factories and the drudgery of factory work is a huge theme. And in my opinion, war is a huge theme. Yes. And, uh, and those are. Uh, big problems that he sees and in many of his interviews he talks about uh, canaries in mines and that that's how he sees his function is to draw attention to dangers in American society that most people don't want to acknowledge and these are three dangers that I think are really important to him with unemployment and war um, he doesn't have an easy explanation for unemployment but he does think that government uh, is ignoring the issue and uh, and and has exacerbated the issue of the problems. And it, there's an anger there. With war, he, it's just out and out. He distrusts the state, and he urges us to distrust the state. So his politics um, is one that involves a suspicion of elites, and a uh, warning not to put your faith in the hands of
1: others. Yes, and it's kind of connect- mm-hmm. he mentioned that very early, right, um, when they were doing the cover of War, and he talked about this as oh. like in the 80s, right, that putting right. your faith in our leaders can, uh, blind trust in anyone can be a bad thing. So this has been a consistent... Since he kind of found his political voice, don't you think? Yes,
2: I do. I think I think it's um, I think it's longstanding, and there are people who, um, because Spring, Bruce Springsteen often doesn't participate in election, electoral politics, who think that he's apolitical. But that's only if you have a very narrow sense of politics being about elections and elected officials. Um, he's very political and it rests on a, a kind of a profoundly democratic attitude that we need to act and we need to be responsible and we should not be, um, feeding our powers and our authority, uh, to the government. And, um, and you're right, it, war, that, that, uh, performance of war really captures that spirit. and um, and. The suspicion occurs. Um, I, I don't remember the name of the album he did with all the um, banjos and the tuba. The, the
1: and, uh, Seeger Sessions. The
2: Seeger Sessions. Yes. Some of those songs are very explicit. You know, they're very anti-war. And again, yes. don't trust. Uh, so yeah, this is. Um, uh, and I would argue we take uh, we take care of our own is another example of. You know, <laughs> we, we need to rely on ourselves. And, um, and this, this capacity that we have, this capacity to act, I think um, he celebrates in his music and he tries to get us to imagine ourselves as being a community, both through the way his performances work And also through some of the songs he sings, you and I in our correspondence had mentioned um, um, Land of Hope and Dreams as being a great piece where he, I mean, he's just saying that, you know, we have to put our baggage aside as we climb on the train and we've got to embrace each other. And that's the only way that we can improve ourselves. Otherwise, these problems of unemployment, um, factory uh, uh, abuse and uh, constant war and sacrifice are going to continue. So it's a um, a very citizen-oriented vision of politics as opposed to a government-oriented oriented vision of politics.
1: You know, the other thing that strikes me, Ernie, is, um, you know, in factory he says uh, – Factory takes his hearing. Factory gives him life. Um, You know, there's the dual complex of, you know, and we take care of our own. He says, you know, where is the work that will set my hands free? You know that. So he's there. The only thing worse than having a a dead end job is not having a job at all. Almost, it's like this. You. We want to work, we want to contribute, we want to be part of society. And he sings about that. At the same time, he understands the, you know, I used to talk about, and I'm going to let you talk, I promise, is every once in a while someone will say, Well, you sure are, you know, as bad as this economy is. I can't believe you're complaining about your job. And I used to say, I would defend people. I go, just because I'm unhappy with my boss or unhappy with my job doesn't – you should not imply I'm not grateful that I'm working and earning money, right? I mean, you can be both at the same time, and I think he talks about that in a lot of his songs.
2: Yeah, I I mean, the way I approach this and ties into the pastoral theme, I just realized now that you had asked me about pastoralism and I never got to it um, but slowly we'll get there
1: yeah um, we're good uh,
2: <laughs> uh, yeah I think the kind of work that he wants us to have is kind of art, art artisanal work and um, where um, we aren't machines and we aren't um, our blood isn't cold our eyes aren't dead and um, um, we're working hard. We're sweating hard, but we're creating. And I think, um, um, oh, I, I'm. Um, I think it's a wrecking ball album. I think it's some of the final pieces there. Um, you know, he he really talks. Uh, he talks about creation, and um, and that's what he wants. He wants a world where we can work and we can be. Um, uh, creative because some of these jobs like a car wash um, they aren't maybe they're better than uh, dying but sometimes it, it really sounds from the lyrics that they're as bad as dying There's, um, one uh, song oh, the album is Dust and Something where he's in, uh, it's about a minor Yes. in a hole and Boy, it just sounds like being buried alive and uh, machinery and so forth. So I think there's a way of producing that gives you dignity and gives you creativity. And I think that's what he saw in his mother um, when she she went off to work, that there's a way of working where you have a sense of responsibility and uh, and there's trust that's given to you. that we in America need to promote and need to um, appreciate and, and encourage. So Um,
1: go ahead, continue, sir.
2: So pastoralism is this, um, pastoralism is kind of a celebration of America when, um, when we were kind of settling the way that we imagined the West being a place of, um, of energy and creativity and kind of spontaneous community getting together Um, and so it's a place without regimentation, it's a place without uh, conformity, it's a place where each household um, is the center of of independence and um, that kind of vision of the West and the type of People that can grow in a in this uh, type of settlement that is very common in American literature and rhetoric, from you know Teddy Roosevelt and and I think um, and uh, Ken Kesey in literature, and I think Bruce Springsteen in his music, uh, both the uh, rhythm and the uh, instrumentation and the lyrics. I think he draws on that and kind of reminds us of that uh, vision of what America can be, which is very different from what a lot of politicians talk about.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I have a real good friend who is conservative, and he says that what frustrates him the most is that there is no one saying – whether you're right or left, Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal, saying we both want the same goal. We just disagree how to get there. There's got to be a way to find where we – if we want safe borders, if that's our goal, to find a way to do that where we're we're accomplishing that goal together. Uh, we, we want everyone to have health insurance, but we just disagree on how to do it. But let's talk about and find a way. Um, unfortunately, it feels like compromise has become a bad word in today's politics, and that is not the way it used to be. Yeah,
2: Um Hey, well, and if you I disagree think, with uh, me, please. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I, I, partly agree and partly disagree. I mean, uh, I think there is compromise, uh, on kind of the wrong values, And I think that's one of the things that, um, Bruce Springsteen said in his talks at concerts and also in his music that, um, actually there's a lot of agreement among the elites about, um, war and the need for war. I think he talks about the war drums being beaten by um, Republicans and Democrats alike. And then there's a lot of kind of compromise and encouragement about um, rapid economic development and uh, global trade. Um, And I think that's the reason um, all these trade agreements occurred. The notion that we have a serious Unemployment problem until recently, until this election, really hadn't been talked about by uh, by the Democratic Party, which generally is the center of the Democratic Party that controls it, or definitely by the the Republicans. I mean, I think they, they were concerned about protecting those who have jobs and protecting those in the middle class. But those who are really hurting, who are stuck in chronic unemployment or who are stuck in jobs um, where the pay cannot sustain a family, um, there was no discussion. I mean, there was nothing to compromise about. Uh, The the agreement was that these people were expendable. And um, Bruce's music brings them to the center of our of our story about ourselves, and makes their fate important to us. And politicians, by and large, uh, in the United States, by and large, over the last three decades, have chosen to pretend that that population, that vulnerable population, does not exist and does not matter.
1: <laughs> that's no. That's really well said. So I'm going to ask you a. Either the most frustrating question or an easy softball question. Okay. What you, as, as someone who um, – political science, and you've done this a lot and sounds like someone who has loved music and art for their whole life, what do you say to the people that go shut up and sing? Or, well, yeah, he's a millionaire. Why is he preaching to us about the working man? So I'd like to hear your answer to that.
2: Okay. Um, and the yeah, soap- you know, I've heard i heard about the shut up and sing phenomena, and um, um, in all, you know, in honesty, um, when Bruce has done working class songs. Um, and uh, you know, it could be that the audience doesn't understand that when he's doing a um, a cover of "Staying Alive," it's a cover about uh, the frustrations of being in, in 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 terrible jobs and and facing a dead end situation. Um, I mean, it's, it's possible, but I think actually a lot of people uh, appreciate it. I think that. Um, I think when people get nervous and they say, again, I haven't actually seen this, but I've read about it, where some people say, shut up and sing. I think that's when he endorses candidates or criticizes candidates. And I think the reason that happens is because we're still sort of childish and we don't want to admit that our political leaders are fallible and dangerous. And, um, and I think when Bruce is making a statement about George W. Bush, um, uh, or, you know, Bella Rumsfeld or, um, I think it, it, scares people because they have, they're so desperate to have this, um, savior above them, you know, going back to Thunder Road and yeah. <laughs> Bruce is saying, no, there aren't any. Right. Um. So I think, you know, I, I think he, he's making us uncomfortable. He's making some people uncomfortable. And um, uh, I think his music is getting the point across. And when he feels that he has to be explicit about parties, you know, he's taking that step. But actually, I think he's been very um, reluctant because he doesn't trust either party that much.
1: Right. Um
2: and um, so anyhow, I, I think he's singing critical, about critical social issues. He's singing about them in a way that makes us worry about issues that we prefer not to worry about. Um, so if they're really listening to the lyrics, um, uh, something something's getting through to them. They may not like his, his non-electoral... They may not like... Anti-electoral position and his way of attacking elected leaders, Uh, but I think I think his uh, message gets across. You know, I'm just stunned at at the at the concerts. The last one I went to, I was sitting by a nurse, uh, and she said that this was something like her 18th (laughs) Springsteen concert. Right, and. But she always went because he made her proud of herself. I mean, she really was getting the message and that he cared about her situation. So um, I think his political message actually is getting across, even though some people may get nervous once he attacks uh, government officials. In terms of the millionaire uh, uh, view, I you know, I um I I guess it's because of his childhood experiences, I guess it's because of the friends he has. But he can talk about uh micro level suffering in a way that is just amazing. His Galveston a uh, day um yes. You know, I don't care how much money you're making, to be able to sympathize uh, with people on both sides who are struggling yeah, um, really requires that you put incredible effort into getting out of your position of privilege and imagining what it feels like and really thinking deep and hard about their situation. So, you know, um, I don't think The money has caused him to ignore uh, the have-nots, and um, I think he's using the time that he... You know, he's just a little older than I am. I think he's using his well-earned, golden-year time to think hard about people who really need to be described instead of being ignored and shunted aside. So, um, you know, all of us, whatever our opportunities are, we ought to be that concerned about those who are suffering and um, so my hats off you know, today.
1: yeah and you know, I feel like it's a long tradition of you know, musicians you know talking about social situations and and pushing boundaries and sharing. And I also feel, and I've been on the record about this, I think, I think a lot of things in your core being come from you as a child. Um, my dad was in the army. We moved around a lot. Uh, my mom did not work outside the home. Um, there were times when we, you know, struggled financially. And uh-huh. that's not something, you know, I'm now 57. and But there are things that, I, that are in my core being raised that way. And, and I think the way he was raised is part of what he is.
2: Yeah, I think the way he was raised and the fact that he um, – some of us, as our lives get better than, um, than those of our parents, we try to um, pretend we didn't have childhoods. Yes. And, um, and that's a choice we make, whether or not we want to appreciate the legal, legacy um, of hard work and suffering that gave us our opportunities so or whether we want to pretend that we're above it and, we, and uh, we're ashamed of it. And Bruce never, I mean, I, it, it could be the songs about the toughest times at his home, I never got the sense of shame. No, in his music, um, um, and um, and that he really appreciated the sacrifices that were made for him, and and has that and, and appreciates it. Yeah,
1: you know, Ernie. Growing up in the South, we um, have a phrase. Um, you know, you you don't forget where you come from. And yes. I think he has never <laughs> forgotten where he come from, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, God, this has been so much fun. I'm I'm gonna have to have you on a second time. This is just <laughs> this has just been a blast. Um, so, is there a couple of songs? Y- you would have, you'd like to hear him perform live when the next chance you get to go see him? Or do you want to share a couple of songs maybe that mean a lot to you personally?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think um, um, actually, Waiting for a Sunny Day he did um, uh, when my wife and I heard him the last time we heard him together. Um, and, uh, like I told you, it, it just rang to us because we could imagine our daughters, uh, standing by us. Yeah. And, and, uh, so that was a, that's a, um, uh, a beautiful saga. The, um, uh, the land of hope and dreams I've always, I've always really, um, Sound inspiring and, you know, uh, and I think that's, that's a really great song. I love it when he does, um, (laughs) when he goes into the the music that he likes of uh, older musicians like Gary U.S. Bonds or, you know, when he does Peter Wright, I I always get a kick out of that and his, 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 understanding that his um, his ability to build on that tradition of music is is uh, is really cool you know boy that there's you asked me that that's a great song um you my know
1: city I, of ruin is yeah. another one yeah there're just so many yeah you know what's funny is uh, for the longest time, um, and I don't know if he's done this on the current tour, but almost for for the longest time, he always introduced, and this is Land of Hope and Dreams. You know, I mean, he doesn't <laughs> say this is Badlands or now, you know, but that's one of the few songs he always gave the name of. And um, I agree with you. It's just, if I had to pick a favorite song of Bruce, that would be in the the short list of, you know, if you had to, because I think it's such a song of hope. And um, it's it means some personal things to me. We had a family member that was going through a rough time and um, I played that for them and said you know faith will be rewarded and you know and I just think that's a really strong one so that's a good yes choice. um and yeah
2: I, you know one that he you, hasn't done is I, I haven't heard that yeah. maybe uh, I'm sure he did it early in his career a lot seeds yes. Um, Uh, I haven't heard that – it wasn't performed at the uh, concerts I went to, and I always thought that was a really important song.
1: Yes. I I agree. So, So, um, Ernie, if someone wants to reach out to you, maybe, you know, how can they? Do you have a Twitter account? Do you (laughs) – are you on social media at all? How about it, Professor? When are your uh, when are your uh, you know office hours? (laughs) Virtual office? hours? (laughs) Well,
2: uh, yeah, I'm pretty much off the grid. Okay. Um, Uh, my wife is is more into uh, that that sort of stuff. I I I, I, but it's I love to hear from people, and you can reach me uh, by email um, at c a p E E R N. I'll repeat that. That's C A P E E R. I'm sorry. C A P E E R N. So there are two E's next to each other. So it, it looks like Cape Earn. Am um, I Cape Earn at gmail.com?
1: And I and, uh, will I, put that in the show notes.
2: Yes, so and I'd could. love to hear from people.
1: Yes, and uh, I do. I just want to tell you, Ernie, this was a lot of fun. Um, made me think a little bit. Um, I love the paper. I loved the, your take on, you know, him. And you know, this he goes back to the very beginning, right, where he would say, "None of us win unless all of us win," and you kind of showed that his music has. Proven that he really feels that way.
2: Yes, I, I see. Uh, I think There's nothing uh, for me when I listen to Bruce and I think about his music. Uh, it's never mere entertainment or trying to mm-hmm. uh, put out something that's going to please. There's there's a real uh, deep sincerity and honesty to it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yes. So hang tight, just for a minute. Uh, While I take care of a little business, if you want to be in the podcast and talk about Bruce and all that implies, like Ernie did, send me an email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter account at setlustingbruce. Please check both of them out. Go to iTunes. Rate and review us. That is how people find us. And we would appreciate it. I also just created an Instagram set, Lusting Bruce, and I have some pictures of the latest show I went to. Um, Ernie, you are amazing, and I know you're, I know you're taking time off from school. I'm sure your students miss you, and I'm sure your co- your uh, contemporaries miss you. And I'm so glad you're able to spend some time with me. I hope you had fun. Thank you.
2: I did, Jesse, and I'm really glad you had this. Uh, I, I looked up, actually, after you had contacted me, I looked up and, and listened to some of the podcast They are great.
1: Thank you. I, you know, my whole point is just to get these Bruce fans to tell their story, because I think everyone has a story. And I'm sure there's other artists that affect, that have fans of this depth, but it appears, and I'm biased, that Bruce has a little special. That there is yes. a passion, and maybe that is because of his music. So that's I appreciate the kind words. Um, I'm going to close with, Hard times, baby, will they come to tell us all? Sure is the ticking of the clock on the wall. Sure is the turning of the night into day. Your smile, girl, brings the morning light to my eyes. Lift away the blues when I rise. I hope that you're coming to stay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ernie. We will talk to you soon. And that's it. That's the show.
0: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.